The path to becoming a national news correspondent on network television can be difficult and frustrating, but for Adrian Bankard, it became an opportunity to embody kindness as the secret superpower behind her success. Now she's sharing what she learned along the way in her new book, Your Hidden Superpower, the kindness that makes you unbeatable at work and connects you with anyone. In this episode of Hack the Process, Adrienne explains why mentorship drew her attention to the relevance and power of kindness in her life, how she made time to write a book while traveling the world for her work, and what she gets back from making kindness a priority. Some people seem to move almost effortlessly from planning into action, but appearances can be deceiving. It all comes down to having a process that works for you. I'm your host, M. David Green. Hack the Process is a show about looking at the systems and processes that we build our lives around to support mindful, meaningful progress. This show explores ways that people get past that pivot point, from having a fantasy to putting something real out there into the world. If you're ready to stop planning and fantasizing and start taking action, let's hack the process together. Today, I'm speaking with Adrienne Bankert. She is an ABC News correspondent and the author of a new book called Your Hidden Superpower. Adrian, how are you doing today? I am awesome. Thank you so much for being with me today, for joining me as I'm in my kitchen right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining me here as well. It's a, we're, we're all in our homes right now, but these are exciting times. And you are doing a lot from your home these days. How are you managing to stay engaged? You're an ABC News correspondent. Is that something you can do from home? Yes. In fact, I was just on air a couple days ago from my kitchen for Good Morning America. <laughs> Thankfully, again, you know, media has changed and evolved so much. We've seen a lot of multimedia journalists, people who are one man bands. And so people can pivot in journalism at the network level. It's such a gift to have a whole team of people behind you. So there have been couriers dropping things off at my place and making sure that I have the right lights and making sure that I have the right cords to plug in my microphone to my cell phone and that I have another monitor on an iPad and all these different things. So I always get on the phone and and IFB with them and I say, can I just tell you how much I appreciate you that even in this world of doing it on our own, so to speak, we're not doing it on our own and we have people coaching us through the technological side all the time. I think we're getting an opportunity to realize just how essential all of those people in all of those different roles are. Their significance is becoming more and more visible to us as we realize how much they have to do with that. I certainly hope that is true because I, I continue to thank them all the time. I, there's one photographer who accidentally dialed me and we've worked together so many times on World News Tonight. Typically, we would be outside the building on the sidewalk here in New York City. And I haven't seen him in a while. And he, again, accidentally called me and I said, hey, I've been meaning to talk to you. I'm so glad you called. <laughs> and I wanted to check in with him because I knew he was living at home alone. And it was a great chance to just connect with a human. And I told him, I said, I just want you to know you make us look so good out there. And now I'm faced with doing what I can by myself. And I appreciate you even more. Keeping those connections going is, is really hard, and it's even harder with the social distancing that we're doing. Are you doing anything special to keep your connections going? Well, for me, I'm a social butterfly, and this hit me harder than I ever could have anticipated. You know, for a lot of people, they're facing the anxiety and the fear behind all of this crisis. For me, it was facing the lack of interaction with a human face-to-face. And the only people that I've seen are the people who work in my building, the maintenance people, the doormen. You rarely see neighbors because so many people are staying inside. They don't want to go outside. 
when I do go outside, people are covered in a mask. There was one particular day when I just was like, oh my gosh, I need to see a human being who knows me, who can look me in the eye and a Zoom call is just not going to cut it. And so I was faced with like, okay, am I going to sit here and feel bad about it? Or what can I do? And so taking time to breathe, taking time to reflect, using some of the things that I learned in writing my book actually helped me because I truly believe that kindness keeps you innovative and creative. And so instead of thinking, oh my God, this is so hard for me, I thought, okay, there are a whole lot of people who are just like me right now. What can I do for them? And that actually helped me to create some things and some functions that have precipitated me not feeling so disconnected. It speaks to the power of having a service mindset in order to keep your sanity, especially in times like this. You mentioned the book that you were working on and that you've got coming up. It's about kindness. And I think kindness is one of those concepts that's easy for us to ignore or to think that we know about. But uh, tell me a little bit about the concept behind your book. Well, I call it Kindness 2.0 because it was interesting. I was I was discussing this concept of the book and it was in a different perspective than most people I had talked to had heard about. I put it out there that kindness is a superpower. And when I looked up definitions, everything in modern dictionaries seemed to be pretty elementary. And oftentimes definitions get watered down over time. So I went all the way back to the oldest dictionary that Noah Webster ever wrote. And it had a much deeper meaning to me. Kindness, I think for a lot of people, if you ask 10 people what kindness is, they'll give you at least three or four or five different answers. And I wanted to know at the heart what kindness was. And so in elevating kindness in our consciousness, I believe that we'll be more effective in using kindness as a power, as our identity, rather than just thinking of it as a polite or thoughtful notion or a random act. And for me, kindness has become my life hack to trigger into things that people have talked about for at least a decade, maybe several, authenticity, tapping into what your why is, knowing your purpose. And people would say those things, and I believed in those things, but a lot of times it was like, well, how do you get to that? And I found out that kindness was the trigger to get to those things. So how do you define kindness then? Kindness for me, you know, when you look it up in the old dictionary, it is to help someone or make them happy by granting their desires or assisting them in need. And, and I thought about that. I thought most people think kindness is helping people, but very few, I would say, think of kindness as making people happy. And then I thought, how many times do we think about making our coworkers happy or our bosses happy? You know, we want to just do the job, but increasingly based on this culture that we're in, based on the divisiveness of the times that we've been living in now for some time, we need people who can't just get the job done. I mean, there was a time I think that people could just get the job done, just get along and get the job done. Now we're asking for people who can be kind under pressure while they get the job done well. And so for me, kindness 2.0 is about being able to be very talented, very, be very tenacious, you can be driven, you can be ambitious, you can be strong, you can be smart, but you also need to be kind. It has to be in your toolkit. It has to be more than just something you think about. It has to become as prioritized as fitness or health and wellness or brushing your teeth. <laughs> we need to put kindness more at the forefront of what we're doing as wholehearted individuals. Kindness to me is the essence of who you truly are. If you look up the word kind, on the one hand, it's thoughtfulness, consideration, making people happy, helping them in distress. 
On the other hand, you look up the word kind right now in any dictionary, and it's nature, natural propensity, determination, just like kind, genus, species. It's the same word. And so what I realized, I was like, oh my gosh, that's an aha moment. Being kind is being who you really were made to be. And it's inclusive of everyone, gender, nationality, ethnicity. We all have the qualification to be that nature, natural propensity and determination. We all have the power to be who we were born to be. One of the things about the definition that you've arrived at that really appeals to me is the active nature of it. I think in American society, there's a propensity to think of kindness as passively allowing people to be what they want to be, whereas your definition involves actively pursuing their happiness by their definition. Yes. Yeah, because we all have an ask. The first chapter of my book is called The Ask. And if you think about it, everyone's walking around with something burning on the inside of them, whether it's they really want to be appreciated. They really want to be seen. They really want to get to their next step in life. They really want a cup of coffee. You know, I mean, there's things that we really want and we're walking around with this ask. And if somebody, anybody would just come up to us and say, is there anything I can do for you? And they were willing, we, it would make our day. And, and I realized that, you know, it was a series of kind acts from other people that made life worth living. It was a series of kind notions People were doing things and I was noticing how kind they were and how it was a game changer. And I thought if we live like this every day, prioritizing kindness, and we're so intentional about answering the asks of other people, then we would get our own asks answered. You know, if I seek out all the people who feel the same way I do about being socially distant or physically distant and are having a struggle with, you know, whether it's depression, loneliness, or just isolation feelings, and I go to solve that problem and I go to serve that community, then automatically, if I have that issue, because I have so much empathy for it anyway, I am going to get the answers for my own life. And I think that's true of any question that wants to be solved. It forces you to put that conscious attention on other people around you as well. And I imagine that's one of the things that drove you to want to write something and put it out there in the world. It's interesting. I was asked to write this book in a sense. It wasn't even asked. I was told I should write this book. My mentor, who has been coaching me in kindness, was like, you should write a book on kindness. It wasn't my idea. <laughs> I thought, well, surely people can study kindness and there's lots of books on kindness because I didn't realize at the time how deeply intentional I had become. And he said, no, you need to write a book on kindness. It's a different perspective. So I had nothing. I had literally like, okay, what do I know about kindness? And so as I began evaluating my own life, evaluating how I conduct interviews, evaluating how other people have treated me, evaluating how when you're a young talent, you really think in the beginning of your career in your 20s that you are so awesome and smart and gifted that somebody's going to notice you. And that's why you got that door open. When in reflecting back, I thought, no, 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 there's lots of talented people they open that door because they're kind. They open that door because they gave this young girl a shot. And so seeing how this reciprocity exists in the marketplace and in real life where we are constantly being given a shot, we are constantly being given a, a fair deal in a life that is not fair. Life is disappointing and messy and crazy, but there are these bright moments where people just say, you know what, I'm just gonna help you out. I'm just gonna hook you up. I'm just gonna do something for you that'll make you smile. That's what makes life worth living. And, you know, I had some experiences where I didn't know what I wanted to do and I didn't know how to get to the next spot. But when I started answering the questions for other people, instead of worrying about how to figure it out for myself, that's when doors, just massive doors started opening up for me. 
I think it's true on both sides, because not only does the kindness offer you the opportunity to have that good feeling of doing something kind for somebody else, it actually does open up doors for you in the in the direction that you want to go in, even if you don't realize it at the time. Yeah, I say that opportunity is someone on the other side of a locked door who says, welcome in. And, you know, you can kick down doors and you can find the key and you can go on a treasure hunt and find it in some chest somewhere and find out the secret code. But it's always easier when someone just says, hey, you, you want to come inside? And knowing the gatekeepers and knowing how to treat people, when you treat someone who you don't need, so to speak, like a janitor or a stranger or someone who you don't necessarily know or even like or have an affinity to, you become, I don't know want to say programmed or rehearsed, but it's like you have muscle memory for being kind to everyone. And so that becomes more authentic so that when you do have an opportunity presented to you, you may not even recognize how big it is because you're just being your kind self. And lo and behold, this person is about to give you the massive whopper breakthrough big shot that you were looking for. And you have no idea, but it's because you've been so practiced in being kind. That's interesting. I'm going to ask you a sort of a challenging question. Do you think that kindness is something that comes naturally to you? Or is it something that you had to build up a muscle memory around? I definitely had to build up muscle memory. Definitely. I mean, I think I come from a very big family of seven children. My mother's one of nine children. The more people you put in a small space, the more crazy it can be. <laughs> you know, I mean, just for proximity's sake. Right now, I would love to be crammed into a, a house with seven kids. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> but I think that what, you know, because people ask me, was it something that you were taught as a child? Was it something that you were taught by a parent or something like that? I was so driven and so eager to do something of substance and impact and make my mark in the world. Like everyone, you know, I mean, well, maybe not everyone, but a lot of us are like so much, yes, I'm going to change the world and I'm going to do all these things. And you think it's going to be linear and it's not. And life smacks you upside the head several times to remind you, no, it's not linear. <laughs> and you're not going to figure it out just like that because you have a degree and you've had some experience. But there was one particular instance at my job, my first news station, KCRA in Sacramento. And one of the engineers came into work and he was usually so chipper and had such a soft presence, like a great voice, like always calming or fun. And he snapped at me. And I'm thinking, what in the world is wrong with you? Like, how dare you talk to me like that? Now, I didn't say it. I thought that. But I didn't, I was arrested. Something in me said, okay, either I shouldn't say anything right now, or that would be stupid to say something right now, or just keep your mouth shut. And I found out later that his mother had died the night before. And I never, ever would have imagined that that would have been the reason why he was so upset. But it was like, oh my gosh, from that point on at work, I'm able to disconnect somebody's bark or bite or temper from their person. Because I assume, just like that sound engineer, that something bad was happening before or something bad was happening at home or somebody died or somebody's in the hospital. I just presume that I don't know what people are really going through. And so I don't take the pain of relationships as seriously when I know that that's likely the cause. It's so hard not to take something like that personally, but it's true. Every one of us is going through so much and we've got no idea what anybody else is experiencing. We just have to assume the best of everybody. 
And that's part of the impetus of the book is things like that, because, you know, you're bound to see it no matter what industry you're in, high pressure, tight deadlines, you know, live TV, you're bound to see some of the emotions of people. It's just, it's the nature of humanity. Another big story that's in the book and the opening story is that I got to national TV after trying and working and striving and wanting it so bad because of a woman who has known me my entire career, calling the general manager of a station and telling her, I've known Adrian her whole career and she's never said anything bad about anybody. And saying, you've got to work with Adrian because I've never heard her say anything bad about anybody. I don't, you know, presume to be perfect. I don't presume to have never said anything about, you know what I'm saying? Like we're all human. We have moments, but I, I did make it a practice to not gossip, to not speak down about people, even if I had good cause to, there's no good reason to say anything bad about anybody. And so that was the reason why I got a shot with her. And then she introduced me to people at the network months later. And it's very high praise actually to be, to be the sort of person about whom that can be said. It was, again, it was a practice. My coach, my mentor, Bill, he lives in Sacramento, so I see him whenever I can come out, but he would really work on me to be kind. You know, there was a time when he would tell me, like, I was on TV in Sacramento and he was saying, I want you to come down here and volunteer for me at my nonprofit and I want you to edit video and I want you to be a camera person. You're going to be the best one here because I want you to know what your crew's going through. So while I'm on television in the 20th largest market in the country, he is pushing me behind the scenes quietly without anybody knowing to do the kind of work that I didn't have to do for him for free so that I would have empathy for the people who weren't on camera. And to this day, that stuck with me. I'm very conscious. In fact, I have a whole chapter dedicated to kindness to your crew, because whether you work in television and you have a camera crew or you have a team, you have to be empathetic about what they are going through. Recently, he gave a talk at a hotel chain and he said, every one of you should get a mentor. In fact, some of you should be mentored by the housekeeping staff. And it was interesting. I mean, these are managers and he's telling them, go, go work for the housekeeping staff just to know what people go through. And I think that a lot of times different departments would benefit from knowing what other people on the other side of the cubicle or other side of the wall are going through. I think it's amazing what you can learn from people, all walks of life, all ages. I have mentors myself who are 20 years younger than me, and that's not a problem because there's so much you can learn from from different people. Tell me more about Bill and about this mentorship relationship. Not everybody has a mentor and not everybody knows the value of mentorship. And not everybody could handle a mentor because it's something I talk about that there's a difference between kind and nice. And I think a lot of times in our society, we have embraced the notion of nice instead of kind. And nice is very polite. It's very, you know, you look that word up in the dictionary, <laughs> in the old dictionary, because I had no idea. I'm like, why is nice not exactly kind? What's the difference? And nice is exact and precision and keeping up appearances. Look it up. I promise. Like, I'm not making this up. Look it up in all the old dictionaries. And with a coach and with Bill, he's very direct. He's very straightforward. He's not going to allow for a pity party. And a good mentor will tell you the good, bad, and the ugly about who you are. And so he has coached and consulted me for over a decade. And he's just been there the whole time, really, in a sense, quietly. You know, I have him, he wrote the foreword of this book. So I'm really excited that I got to honor him with that because he's been invaluable in, in really keeping it real with me when you could just go along and go with the flow of your career. But it's those things that you don't even realize could be a hindrance to you. It's those times when you're in negotiations and you need to have 
another person to give you perspective. It's when you are going to learn a lesson about yourself as a person, because to me, your career ultimately should make you a better human. It's not just about the climb. And he's really big on that. What he's taught me and he teaches other people that are his clients is that you don't go to work just to work. You go there as the excuse to touch the lives of the people that you work with. And it's like going into work and that paycheck is your access pass to being able to bring kindness, bring a light, bring hope, bring encouragement, because you don't know what people are going through. And going in, like you said at the top of this about, you know, servant mindsets, servant leadership is so vital right now because the stress that we are under in this world is chaotic And people need what I call like a safe harbor in the midst of a sea of people who are too busy to notice. And when you show that kind face and when you smile at someone at work or even on the street, you're providing that safe harbor for just a moment. You're a breath of fresh air. And I'm so grateful that Bill has been there come, you know, in the high points and in the very low points of my career to just keep cheering me on, tell me, get up, girlfriend. Like, you got to pay any price. Come on. Like, when you're really passionate about something, you'll do whatever it takes. And he's been he's been that for me, for sure. How did you find the mentor you could relate to so well? Well, I had no idea I would have related him to, to him so well, because if you see us, we're exact opposites. It's interesting. My former mentor, because again, I never asked for a mentor, but people will come into your life and become these mentors without really, you know, organically when you're open to somebody, please help me, I'm teachable. First, you have to be teachable. You have to be coachable. That is invaluable. That's the sexiest thing you can be, in my opinion, is be teachable because you're open to learning because we're students of life. But my former mentor, who was my hairdresser as a teenager, I went and worked for her. I would I would volunteer. I would shampoo clients. And then I would work the desk and I'd help arrange her travel or answer the phone or whatever, invited me to one of his conferences. And so I attended this conference. I'm like, who in the world is this man? I have never heard anybody talk like him. He has a very distinct way of communicating. And a lot of times I think we look for mentors who look like us or sound like us, who sound familiar. He did not sound or look familiar. And yet there was something so intriguing and his confidence was so palpable. And I thought he really believes what he's saying. And he is saying things that are helpful to me that go deeper than just, you know, we all go to conferences and and conventions to be better people, I think, or because our jobs force us to. I think that when you hit pay dirt, when you find something that really hits to the gut of what you're looking for, I don't ultimately just want to be good at broadcasting or writing. I want to connect with people and I want them to feel safe when they're with me, safe to be themselves, free to be themselves. And when I heard him speaking, it was at that kind of a level where I knew that he was the real deal. And that's ultimately what I want to be in life as real as I am called to be, as real as it gets, 100% Adrian Banker, no added preservatives or additives or anything. And there are very few people like that. I think you have to know yourself pretty well to be able to recognize that in somebody when you come across them. Was this a professional relationship that you established with him? Well, yeah. I mean, it was it was multi-levels because I asked you know, if he would coach me in my career, but I asked him about relationships too, because he has depth in all these areas. And I think that When you're working with a mentor, you have to be willing to allow them to speak things into your life that help you to become, again, a better person. But yes, it was definitely professional, but it became very personal. I mean, I would consider him family at this point, definitely family. And it's weird because I talk a little bit about it in the book, but when you think of your career, you don't usually use terms like kindness or love. You know, we use connection and empathy, which is totally 
part of it. But I think that when you know that someone really cares about you, I think that you can have a loving relationship in the work environment that's appropriate. I think that you can have somebody who really cares about you as a person, no strings attached and wants the best for you and wants your peace and wants you to strive for the dreams and the goals that you have in your heart. What I tell people all the time is if you want to mentor, don't go to them and say, will you mentor me? That's like, it just is abrupt. But initially just say, can I have some time with you? Can I get to know you? Can we meet for a Zoom call for five, 10, 15 minutes and just nurture that relationship and ask them questions. And then when you get those answers, do what they say. That's a big thing. If you're not listening, then a mentor can't really come in and help you. Because what I realized is no matter what path we were on, because he wasn't in broadcasting, you know, he he had a lot of business experience from all these different jobs that he'd worked, but it was about being the kind of person who put others first, the kind of person who lived with their whole heart. That's what I wanted to be mentored in so that when I got to work, no matter what I was doing, I was giving my all and I was conscious of the people around me. And if you're willing to know exactly what you want to be mentored in, I'll ask lots of questions. And for the love of goodness, God, just do what they ask, do what they say, listen. <laughs> I think that's such an important piece of the mentorship relationship that a lot of people miss. Those mentors get such value out of seeing that their advice was taken and applied and noticing what that response was. It's mutual. It's mutually beneficial. Yeah. And not all of the mentors in my life even know that they're my mentors, but I keep that resonant relationship with them so that there is that feedback loop and so that they do see the impact that they're having in my life and vice versa. Yes. It's so important to show appreciate. People want to be appreciated at the end of the day. I think that's one of the top things that they desire. Top ask. So when you when you started working with a mentor, was kindness the focus that you were thinking about? Or was that something that emerged out of the experience? No, the main goal was to get on national TV. The, that was the main objective. But of course, I wanted to be the person that I have always wanted to be. It's something I write about in the book, too, is that ultimately, like Diane von Furstenberg, she has this wonderful quote from her book that she didn't know what she wanted to do, but she knew the kind of woman she wanted to be. And I knew I saw glimpses of the kind of woman I wanted to be in media. And Bill says this often, he says, the man is more important than the plan or the person is more important than your trajectory. Yes, get to those dreams. Yes, aim for those stars, you know, but who are you? Because eventually who you are is going to show up. So if you're a little messy, it's going to eventually be revealed. <laughs> you know, you might as well get all the all those quirks settled and straightened out beforehand before you get to the high pressure, high octane level of success that you want, because eventually it's going to come out. And it's certainly going to come out when you have a, a goal as visible as being on national television. <laughs> You have to have a lot of integrity. Yeah, you, you do. You do. And you have to also be willing for people to see the, the flaws and the realities of, of, of who you are, because it's all going to come right out to the surface. Well, I always when I was watching news as a child, I always wanted to be so real. You know, I didn't want to have to flip a switch between who I was on camera and who I was off camera. I wanted it to be what you see is what you get, no matter where I am. And one of the things I talk about in uh, Your Hidden Superpower is I live like I'm on a hype mic all the time. Because I don't ever want to have to think I have to censor myself when I'm with my friends or with my family or whatever. You know, I wanted to be 24-7 authentic. And that's a high goal. That's a lofty goal. Because I think a lot of us are like, really? Live like you're on a hot mic all the time? <laughs> but I think increasingly, I mean, what, what we post on social media can go viral in an instant. 
And, you know, it's important for us to be thoughtful about what we say. Does that mean we'll never make a mistake? Of course not, you know, (laughs) you know, but our heart, if our heart is right, the power of an apology, the power of forgiveness, the power of mercy, the power of knowing if you're a believer in kindness and you are an initiator of kindness, kindness will come back to you. And you know, people will understand and and be more understanding of someone who has a track record of kindness. And I think that's a big reason why I'm such a believer in it, too. I think this uh, high visibility always on society where we are literally, if not intentionally living as if we are on a hot mic all the time, people are also becoming very, very attuned to the genuineness or lack of genuineness of people when they do make a mistake, how they respond to it, how they rebound and how they integrate that into their lives. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think that you can fake it till you make it. I really don't. I think that you either have it or you don't. But I think that one of the most genuine things you can do is admit when you don't have it. And that's when coming around and alongside people who've already shown a track record of kindness or shown a track record of success in whatever area you're seeking is so crucial. We really can't do this life alone. No, no. And it's one of the reasons why we are here in society. I mean, it's, it's the nature of the nature of us as human beings is that we work better together and that we grow together. I'm really intrigued by the this is very it's a very lofty goal. And I'm sure that a lot of people who are listening are very curious about how you get from that kid working in the hairdressing salon who has, has an ambition to get onto national television, get over that hurdle and get to where you are. Right? It's not a straight path. And what did that path look like for you? Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, just to condense the story. So like I said, I'm from a large family. I always had a dream of being on television. I grew up watching the station that I ended up working for first at KCRA. And I also ended up hosting a show in Los Angeles for a PBS affiliate in Los Angeles that projected shows into the LA Unified School District classrooms. And so that was my first on-air position. And I had auditioned for different kinds of things. I mean, typical LA things all over the place. I had a hosting agent, tried to get into hosting very, very early right after college, but you know, there's a ton of people who think, oh, I'm just going to go have my own show or I'm just going to go host this thing. And it took a lot more experience for me to get to that realm. And so I put together a short reel just from an internship and from my educational programming that I did. And then I would get on red carpets and I just piece these things together. And after some really, really strong soul searching, I attended a journalism convention. And at that journalism convention, I met the people who own and operate the Hearst stations across the country. And so they saw my resume, they saw my letter, they saw everything and said, oh, is your mom still in Sacramento? We have the perfect job for you. You'll do traffic. And so I'm thinking, what is that? And um, they trained me in reporting the traffic in Sacramento at KCRA. And within two years, I was an anchor there. I, I told them, I said, listen, I'm really happy to be the traffic anchor. I'm really happy to talk about road conditions. But I just want to let you know that I'm going to be an anchor here. So if I can get some practice in, that would be great. And I was just very, always very ambitious and driven. And so I met Bill right around the first six months of me starting that job, which is great timing. So I went from anchoring there. I did some hosting for that station. Then I moved to Dallas, Fort Worth, got a job there as an anchor, worked there. And then I went to Los Angeles as a freelance reporter, fill-in anchor. And then I went to New York. Hmm. I didn't actually realize that anchoring was something that you could do as a freelance. Well, I don't know that you can, but I did. (laughs) (laughs) 
that is of course you can but i'd never heard of it before so it's it's fascinating yeah well i had so much experience and they knew that i could anchor and i'm grateful for the opportunities that i've been given but yeah i could have stayed there in la but you know thank goodness for cheryl fair at kabc who said you know i can introduce you to the folks at the network and i said let's do it and she did and just a short few months later i was here in new york that is remarkable. And getting onto national, I think that's a that's a huge goal for a lot of people in the media in general. Like right now, there are practically no barriers to getting yourself an audience out there, but getting the type of audience and recognition that comes from a company putting their trust in you and putting you, you up as the face of their national broadcast. That's a remarkable accomplishment. Yeah. Somebody reminded me how few people are on the air as network correspondents. And I don't take it lightly. I'm so grateful. It's given me so many great opportunities. I've traveled the world because of ABC and been in countries that I'd only dreamed about visiting. I mean, I was in Paris and Lyon, France last year for the Women's World Cup, which was amazing. I was in Thailand joining the team of reporters who reported on the soccer team, the youth soccer team trapped in the cave there in Thailand. And gosh, I mean, it's just, it's amazing. That's just a couple of short stories. I, I reported on the royal wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle in London. It's a very high energy type of career and not one that makes a lot of room for writing a book or creating an e-course because I believe you've also created an online course that's going to go with your book. I have. Yes. It's like writing a second book almost. Yeah. How do you make the time for all of that? I'm really curious. How did you hack your own process? How did you structure your time and schedule yourself so that you could get all of that done? So one of the analogies that I use, like I said, I use a lot of technology as analogies for life. And when you have your cell phone and it's in that red zone, 20% or less, and you don't have an external charger with you, you reserve your usage of that piece of equipment. You don't make as many calls, if any. You don't text. You don't surf the internet. You might text before you surf the internet, but you're definitely going to try to save your battery so you will actually restrict your own usage of that device that belongs to you. And what I find is that most people are walking around in life like their phone without a charger, that they're only giving... 20 or 35%, they're not fully charged. And what kindness does is it charges your, your battery again. And it makes you nimble. It gives you energy when you make it this intentional lifestyle. And so if you look at my schedule, there were times when I wasn't sleeping. There were times when I was on the plane for 14 hours. That's a lot of good writing time. I'll let you know. I did write my book all over the world in between reports. Yeah, because I remember when like, I read the book and I'm like, oh, I, I wrote that when I was in Tokyo. I wrote that when I was in Prague. One thing I write about is how there were some stressful times in my life over the process of writing and over the process of working where it was crazy. But I had added more to my stack of duties and I was mentoring this group of young professional women just starting out in their career. I had taken on four new interns who I was coaching and mentoring. And I was like, how in the world am I going to do all this? But doing those things and giving to them actually charged my battery so that I had the passion to get out of bed in the morning. And kindness becomes your life hack. I'm telling you, it's, it fuels you so that you have the content. I mean, I am literally like coming up with new content all the time because kindness begets creativity and you're thinking of other people and wanting to solve their problems. So yes, Trello helps. And yes, having an assistant helps big time, but it's, it's been a lot. It's, you don't sleep as much, but you do create more and you do have more passion to wake up and wake up with energy. 
I could see that. And you, you definitely embody that sense of having the kindness that you're doing, empowering you and, and charging you up and keeping you going, which given how much you're trying to accomplish at one time, I think that sounds like it's essential. And you also mentioned Trello and you mentioned having an assistant. You're not the only person who's mentioned either one of those things. I'm curious how you work with your assistant and what you delegate and how you, how you arrange that. Well, I definitely have her help me with these interviews. <laughs> I literally have her send me reminders of every single thing I'm doing. In fact, today she was like, please don't schedule anything on Monday. You have something. And I'm like, okay, that that is one of my biggest gifts. She also, I don't have to delegate some things to her that she takes care of. Uh, she'll actually send me food without me asking because she's sometimes concerned I won't eat because it's a bad habit of busy people where we skip meals, right? Or we eat too much of the wrong things because we're like, okay, just give me whatever chips are in that vending machine. Um, but, but, but her thoughtfulness and just having people around you, because again, I invested so many young people, I've had the benefit of them investing back in me. And that kind of goes back to the mentor relationship where because you have someone who's so dedicated to your life and Bill has partnered with my dream as if it was his own dream, I'm willing to partner back. So I've volunteered for him beyond him asking me to work for the camera crew or edit some videos. And likewise, the people who I've mentored and invested in, whether they were interns or mentees, have given back to me. So they'll help me cut videos. One of my favorite videos is this biographical video that I send to people and use at speaking events. And it was cut by a young woman who I've been mentoring. And it's one of the most moving things. People always are like, oh my God, that's such a beautiful video. And, you know, I had her do it as a favor in a sense, like, can you help me with this? Because I don't think of that as anything other than I've invested in you, you've invested in me. Now you have something where you can say, I helped with this project for this person and add it to your resume. I mean, don't leave out the fact that you can invest in other people and get help from those people. I mean, you're going to be helping them. So it's like, it's, it's a win-win. I'm always looking for win-win scenarios. And and that's been a big part of what I've done to be successful with my time. It's another reflection on the way that our society is structured, that the very notion of asking for help is something that people are ashamed of doing and afraid to do. And yet there's so much value in being on both sides of that relationship. Yeah. And I don't think people talk about it a lot. You know, I, nobody taught me in a sense to do that. I mean, I think that Bill would have been a big influence, but I don't think anybody like structured this formula for success. Like, okay, so what you're going to do is you're going to get to this certain level and you're going to have way too much to do. So then you're going to ask for this and you're going to pay for this and you're going to do, nobody sits there and gives you that breakdown. But because I have been so trained to be open to helping other people, I have no problem asking for help because I've given so much help. And I say that with humility, but the truth is I've invested in so many people. So why wouldn't I expect that what goes around comes back around? You know what I'm saying? So I think that when you have that serving and that kindness mindset and that kindness at your forefront, you expect that kindness to come back to you. It's that simple. And coming at it so so comfortably and so confidently, I, I wonder if it's off-putting for people or if it's upsetting, like people don't expect that level of confidence. I don't know. I, I really have no idea because I just got to do me. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I got to do me. I love people and I hope that they get that. And if they don't, then okay. <laughs> like <laughs> I love it. And, and you're framing it around kindness and it is all around this concept of sharing kindness and encouraging kindness with the, with the people around you. Tell me more about this course. How did you develop it? What's involved? 
my publisher, HarperCollins, came up with this e-course. And I've done a couple of other e-courses that are actually online already for Gen Connect U, which is a platform that invests primarily in women in the working world. And so I've done one on connection. I've done one on architecting your perfect life, perfectionism, and the pursuit of the ultimate life is what I think that one's called. And so HarperCollins had structured this e-course. And then I went in and basically like went in and made sure that everything was aligned with what the messaging was for my book and for me, because I want to give people the tools that they may not be thinking about that are so simple. I'm really about practical advice. When I thought about this book, I didn't want it to be preachy and I didn't want it to be something where people might think that it's too nebulous. I wanted it to be like, do this, schedule this, try this. Think of this, you know, like steps. And so like, let's not make it too heady or far out of reach. And so that's what the e-course will be. Very, very simple, easy to follow and penetrating, I really believe, because I think that people, if they knew what kindness could do, they'd say, oh my gosh, why didn't I do this before? Or I've been doing this, but not to the level that I need to. And it's, it's quite practical to be kind. So the way that you approach that speaks a lot to the stage you are at in your career, because one of the things I was going to ask you about was your choice to go with a publisher as opposed to self-publishing your book. And this e-course and the fact that they were able to develop a lot of it for you and coordinate with you to make sure that it aligned with your message, as opposed to you going out and doing it yourself, that speaks to one of the reasons why one would choose to go with a publisher, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm just, I'm very grateful to be published. And the same thing with Gin Connect, you actually came about because of a woman who I met through my connections. And she helped me to create this course because I wanted to get the messaging out about the book. I wanted to get the concepts out about your hidden superpower. It really is about being able to connect with people in an organic way and to prioritize that connection, to prioritize how we can better serve each other and our communities. And networking and connecting are two different things, especially now. I mean, think about it. If, if we have to do all of our connecting and networking on Zoom or online, you know, how do you facilitate that? Just because we automate communication doesn't mean we're connecting. And so more businesses need to be conscious of how to connect. More coworkers need to be conscious of how to connect. And so I'm really grateful for the publisher being able to help me with this. I, I could not do this by myself. There's no way. I could see that. And given how much you're, you're trying to accomplish and all of the things that you're doing in your career and in your side work as well. I'm curious, where do you find time for self-care and how you manage that? I say that self-care is really community care, because if I don't take care of myself, I'm going to take it out on someone else. That's what I see all of us doing, right? It's like, you're cranky, you need a massage. Before all this happened, the state of things as they are now, I had made a New Year's resolution to get a massage and a facial every month. And I started off the year like that. And uh, I'm glad in March I got two massages because I didn't get one in April. <laughs> so, <laughs> But chiropractic care is a big deal for me. That currently is also closed down. I love regular chiropractic visits. Breathing, meditative breathing is a big thing for me. And, you know, the fact is our world is more fast paced. And so you do have to pull yourself aside and have, you know, spa days and times of rest. But sometimes you only get five, 10 minutes in between calls or in the morning or, you know, at the end of a really long day. And so breathing for me is one very surefire way to bring yourself to rest and to calm and to peace and to clarity so that you can think straight because the world is so so in dire need of people who can think straight 
I have lots of support in my circle, in my inner circle, and I couldn't do what I do without very, very kind people. But you you have to make time. I say that if you can't command one hour of your day, then how are you going to command the rest of your day? So just taking charge of one hour and saying, that's my hour to, you know, meditate, pray, read, study, learn a new language, rest, take a nap, whatever it is that you need to do to keep focused or to keep sane then you can command the whole day. It's wonderful if you can have the discipline to set that hour aside every day and make sure that it happens. Is it a morning thing, an evening thing? How do you schedule it in? For me, it's mornings. For sure, every morning at eight o'clock, I'm not usually available for anybody. Now, there are times when I'm on Good Morning America at 8.08. So that gets condensed down. But uh, this morning with with so many things going on today, I I said, you know, I really need to wake up earlier. So I actually woke up a little earlier and I got out to go for a walk at seven o'clock. Walking for me is so therapeutic. And New York's one of the most beautiful cities to walk in, I think. Even now, you know, as strange as everything is here, it's nice to just see people. There's an electricity here still in the city. But for me, when it's that early morning hour, it's just a time to decompress, to breathe, And just to be consciously grateful that I've been given breath at a time when so many people are holding their breath, catching their breath, and unfortunately losing their breath. So that power of life, just being so grateful for the power of life coursing through me right now, just so I can speak to you, helps to keep me so centered. Thank you. And I'm glad to hear that that New York still has that electricity. I miss walking the streets of New York, too. It's an amazing city. It is. I look forward to when it's bustling again. I would love to ask you a little bit more about your sources of inspiration these days, because there are a lot of people out there publishing a lot of different books and a lot of different resources. Whom do you turn to? Where where do you go for inspiration? I like Jay Shetty a lot, honestly. The fact that he was a monk and came out of that to doing what he's doing today is quite fascinating to me. I wonder if we all pulled aside, you know, you talked about care and, and taking care of ourselves. I think that what would what would happen in these quiet moments that we have now? And I know a lot of people are working harder during these times of safer at home, but what would happen if we took this time as a preparation? I'm not saying that we all have to become monks, but um, just take that time to be quiet and to really find out what we care about and what we believe in and be more sure of who we are. I think that ultimately the answer and the answer that I talk about in my book is this will help you know who you are much greater than you've ever known before. But Jay Shetty to me, because of that journey that he's been in, has been quite inspirational. And then, you know, my, my mentor, Bill Krauss is extremely inspirational because he's just lived his life giving. He's, he's really a generosity expert. I would call him a generosity coach in terms of the charities and, and, the individuals that he's just given to. And I think that we have to be willing to give to people of all walks of life. I'm very much a believer in giving to those less fortunate. I've experienced some of those hardships in my own life. And I know people who have experienced hardships where they've needed a helping hand. But I love giving to people who are in the middle. I love giving to people who are on the upper echelon of life, because I think that no matter who you're giving to, when you can be universally philanthropic, something opens up on the inside of you that makes you limitless. And when you're limitless consciously, I think your imagination can become limitless and you can open yourself up to a whole new world of adventure in your life. So that's just some of the inspiration that I would say. I like that. And you're following back on your definition of kindness. It attunes you to the things that the people out there are desiring and the things that would make them happy, regardless of where they happen to be right now. 
Yeah, this situation that we're in currently, I think that it's it's made it evident that no matter who you are, no matter what your income level, it's affected you. If you're a business owner, if you're a stay-at-home mother, it's affected you. And I think that we can look at a lot of things like that, and it can be a uniting process or an impetus for more unification as a society coming out of this. I think a lot of people have spoken to that, you know, let, let's look for the light at the end, of the end of the tunnel. Let's look for a silver lining. So anybody that's for that, I'm, I'm inspired by. Awesome. This is certainly a time when kindness is something that we need more of in the world. And I know my listeners are going to want to find out more about your book and your course and your information. Where can I send them to find out more about kindness? So you can go to yourhiddensuperpower.com. That's yourhiddensuperpower.com. And you can purchase the book anywhere that you buy books, Barnes & Noble, Audible, Amazon. Uh, but on Your Hidden Superpower, if you sign up for the newsletters or mailing lists, You'll get a series of challenges in your inbox. You'll also find out information about how to get the e-course. It's all right there. There's a book trailer, a video trailer for some of the content that you'll find inside the book so you can learn more there. And you can also follow us on Instagram at The Unbeatable Kind because the subtitle of the book is The Kindness That Makes You Unbeatable at Work and Connects You With Anyone. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Adrian, for being here and for sharing all of that. And I look forward to following you and finding out more. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for hacking the process. I think that's just an amazing, amazing need in the world today. We all need to get the process down. <laughs> thank you for helping make it happen. Are you glad you listened to this episode of Hack the Process? Then take an action now. Make a note about something you just heard and how it's going to help you as you hack your own process. And let me know about it. This has been M. David Green, your host for Hack the Process. You can tweet me at Hack the Process. Leave a review for the show on iTunes and visit hacktheprocess.com to check out the show notes for this episode and join our community of process hackers. Thanks for listening. <laughs>